Well, there's a huge difference between talking over here and talking like actually on the mic. Okay. Well, yeah. cool. Are y'all? No, it's fine. Okay. Why is Carrie sitting across the table from you? That's weird. I know. He made it weird. No, I didn't. <laughs> Why'd did you make it weird? Why'd you make it weird? Why'd you make it weird? That's why I couldn't remember Mitchell's name, because you made it weird. God You're damn, right. you made it weird. <laughs> it's my fault. How dare you, David? All right, let's count. <laughs> okay. One. <laughs> Two. Three. I'm sorry. It's just so Four. funny that. I'm sorry. It's just so funny that Occam would be accusing David of making it weird. Because Occam's also the mixing. Oh, they don't know that yet. Sorry. Hello, friends. My name is David White, and you are listening to Tales to Inspire. As we open this first issue of Tales to Inspire, uh, we see a couple of panels arranged on the page, and the first panel is this uh, harsh desert terrain with the sun beating down, uh, and in the corner is a little yellow box that says Central Tunisia, North Africa, February 1943. But we see a dig site set in the harsh desert and in the harsh sun. There is a Nazi walking overhead, uh, and then a man looks up at him from the trench that he has dug himself down into, and he kind of grips his shovel with both hands. Uh, Another man next to him grabs his shoulder and says, Dave, don't do it. Let's let's just wait, wait it out for the boys to come and get us. And then Dave replies, I'm done waiting, Chuck. I'm an American. Ain't no one can make me wait for my freedom. And then the American named Dave uh, jumps out of the trench and he takes his shovel and he swings it and he bashes this Nazi guard over the head. The Nazi collapses. 
uh, and then Dave turns, and we have a panel of him running towards the panel, screaming, his shovel held high, and then in the next panel, we see Dave again, his face beaten in, bloodied, a, a bruised eye, a broken nose, and we see a couple of Nazi guards dragging him across the sand to a little covered area where there is a desk that has been set up. And at the desk is a decorated uh, Nazi official. Um, And we see this official, he is a little pudgy. Um, He has a Nazi uniform, so the black with the medals on the chest, his cap is laid on the desk and he is writing and looking at these different texts in the shade. And as he looks up, he sees the guards bring Dave the American to him. And the guards say, Obifjör von Wies, uh, this American was trying to escape. He attacked uh, one of the guards. What do you want us to do with him? Obifjör von Wies sighs. He takes off these reading glasses and puts them on the table and he stands up. And he starts to walk around his table to Dave the American. What is with you, Americans? You are all born with boiling blood and minds that cannot think past the immediate step in front of you. Think, what would you have done if you had escaped? Run into the mountains of a foreign country to die from thirst? Or maybe you sought to run across the open expanse of the desert, only to be shot dead by a sniper. But no, what care does the American man have for fastidiousness, when a chaotic option is always at the forefront of his mind? And Oberfuhr von Viers has come and is standing over Dave the American, and Dave the American looks up at him and spits, a little bloody globule landing on the Nazi official's waistcoat. And Dave says, How's that for a plan? Oberfuhr von Viers replies, Idiot. He looks down into the trenches and he points to another man in the trenches. You, Zeh, come here. The man crawls out of the trench and comes. And he pulls, or Oberfuhr von Viers pulls out a pistol and holds it out towards the American. Do you know what this is? Uh, uh, yes. Good. You know how to use it then? Uh, um, yeah? Good. Shoot him. Uh, the American looks confused, looking at the gun held out towards him and looking at Dave the American. Uh, what? You, you, you want me to shoot him? Von Veer sighs. Your understanding of language is admirably more adept than I had given you credit for. Yes, shoot him. But, but, boom. There is a sound of a gunshot, or rather, there's an onomatopoeia that scrawls across the panel. We see the man that Von Veers just called out of the trench laying on the ground, and we see Von Veers with his arm outstretched, holding the smoking gun at where the man was formerly standing. He looks back into the trench, and he looks at Chuck, Dave's friend. You, come here. 
two Nazi guards get into the trench and pull Chuck against his will out of the trench. Von Viers holds out the gun to him. I believe even your American mind can understand the parameters of your assignment, soldier. He puts the gun towards Chuck. Chuck looks at Dave, with tears welling up in his eyes. And as he grabs a gun and he points it towards Dave, we can clearly see the tattoo of the name of some bow back home that is uh, tattooed on the inside of Chuck's bicep and is also tattooed on the forefront of his mind. As Chuck says, I'm sorry, Dave. We see another onomatopoeia scrawled across the panel and we see Dave laying in the dirt dead. Von Viers reaches over with a handkerchief and takes the gun from Chuck. Good boy. And he shoves him back into the trench. And then he turns to the dig side and he speaks out. Americans, I know how deeply you crave freedom. Back home, you may drink deeply from it to lull you into your drunken sleep every night. But here, you will find no freedom. You are all now property of the Third Reich. You work for the Reich. You die for the Reich. Unless you get any silly notions of hope in your heads, no one is coming to save you. We turn the page from that scene. And in the top panel of this page, we see the familiar facade of the White House. And in fact, in the corner of the panel is a little yellow box that reads, The White House, February 20th, 1943. Uh, The next panel is inside the Oval Office. We see the shadowy outline of a man in a navy blue pinstripe suit silhouetted by sunlight coming through the three iconic large windows of the Oval Office. There's another yellow box next to the man that reads, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, 32nd President of the United States. I do not need to inform you of the dire circumstances we now find ourselves in. Never before has our American civilization been in such danger as it is right now. To our west, the Japanese Empire prowls the Pacific Ocean like a band of ravenous sharks. It's only been one year and two months since they came knocking on our very doorstep. To our east, the Nazis are rapidly gobbling up Europe, and more and more countries are signing over their eternal souls to the Tripartite Act. Hitler has relaunched his offensive into the Soviet Union with his super-powered lapdog at the forefront. It seems as if... It seems as if the Nazi ubermensch will be able to walk the German forces straight back into Moscow uncontested. We are accosted on both sides, and our allies seem to be at their breaking point. What the American people are being told right now are tales of dread, tales of fear. However, I think the American people have had their feel of such tales. That's why I've brought you here today. Together, we are going to take those tales of fear and tales of dread, and we are going to give the American people instead tales to inspire. 
Here, President Roosevelt turns around and he throws a manila folder onto his desk and we see stenciled on the manila folder the words, Operation American Defense. He turns from the window and he slowly and shakily lowers himself down into a chair with the help of a cane. Once he has sat down in the chair, he looks over at you. In this folder are the contracts detailing your conscription and avowal to see an end to the conflict overseas. I realize that as civilians, you have the right to refuse participation in this initiative. But I would appeal to your patriotism and to your humanity to strongly consider signing. Because as we deliberate, the bodies of innocent men still line the ocean floor at Pearl Harbor. Fires rage across London. Good fathers and dutiful sons die on foreign shores far from their family. And a conglomeration of evil heretofore unseen is allowed to continue to exist. The future of America is calling out your names. My question to the six of you is, how will you answer her call? And we turn the page... And on the next page, we have a huge splash page of all six of you in your superhero regalia. And next to each of you is a little yellow box detailing your secret identity, uh, your powers, and little introductory details. Um, And I would just like to go across the panel and tell me how is your character drawn in this first introduction into this issue And what does the little yellow box next to you say? I'll go first. Um, So you see uh, a woman with really dark hair, victory curls to a shoulder, and a fedora, and then just like a black catsuit. Super simple, nothing much to it. Um, Pretty risque, I guess, for the time. And the yellow box next to it would say Geiger Gwen, spelled... Gwendolyn <laughs> like legit just underneath it says spelled and then phonetically spells <laughs> out Gwendolyn nice uh, and does it give like a, a brief summary of your powers um no it just says I have a gun <laughs> <laughs> I like it uh, alright who is drawn next to Geiger Gwen next to Geiger Gwen we see a tall muscular man with neatly coiffed blonde hair he's got a Short, white, gold-trimmed cape flung across his shoulders. He looks so much like a white and gold soldier, a police officer at the time. You can see the yellow boxes, the captions read, Grant Godwin, the torchbearer. Bright light of hope defending Philadelphia. Excellent. And who's next to torchbearer? Uh, I'll go. Um, So, standing in the corner of the room is a emaciated individual with his shirt off, um, trousers, uh, old sneakers and suspenders echoes over his shoulder. Um, he has uh, huge uh, curly hair, uh, just kind of matted and dirty um, hair upon his, uh, his chin, uh, unshaved and unkept, uh, with a kind of tired look on his face as he stares at everyone um, 
next to him, the kind of powers associated with him are, uh, and his title uh, or, or superhero name is Omission. Um, he has the unfortunate ability that if he is uh, not uh, the center of your attention, you forget he even existed. Um, so he has been living his whole life in that way. Um, born uh, as uh, Milk is his real name. And uh, who is next to Milk? Or I guess I should say who is next to Omission? Mm-hmm. I think uh, you see a uh, a woman with a look on her face like she's confused and her eyes are not looking at the President of the United States but instead turned to the right side like out of her periphery she's watching the next person in line uh, and you can see around her head um, she's got like um, chin length brown hair uh, it's cropped short to her face she's pretty but in an old Hollywood way uh, and uh, and you see these blue wave lines around her her head, and the color is pretty similar to her um, outfit, which is perfectly tailored um, and made because she conscripted a uh, a costume designer to make it. Uh, but they they match, and they're they're like sort of vibing next to her head. Um, and you see next to it, uh, it says Crystal Gazer, powers of telepathy and uh, telekinesis. Next to her stands a, well, normally he would be shorter, but he's standing a little taller than most of the uh, heroes next to him due to these tall, like, exoskeleton boots uh, at the bottom of his feet. As it goes up, you see a green, slightly baggy, oversized um, jumpsuit with a symbol, uh, a molecular symbol on the breast Uh, On one hand is this very industrial-looking mechanical glove that looks like it could deal some damage, probably. Um, And he's just kind of standing there looking a little... His head's kind of down in his shoulders. He looks a little uncomfortable. Short, curly-ish hair, a little bit darker with a bit of a receding hairline and some graying, uh, and a pair of goggles across his eyes with just pitch black um, lenses. In the box next to him, it says Dr. Fusion, a.k.a. Leslie Liebholt, a nuclear physicist. Powers include burst boots and fusion fist. Okay. And I think there is one superhero left. Next to him stands a smaller figure. Um, you see she has a purple hood over her head. Um, you see some blonde hair kind of peeking out the edge of the hood. Um, and, um, you see yellow boots up to the knees. You see an older face, um, older than what you would expect from someone of her stature. Um, but, um, and she has bright red lipstick. Um, and in the box beside her, you see um, Mother Midnight, Delilah Daniel. Um, powers include witchcraft. And we have that splash page of the six of you heroes lined up in the Oval Office. Uh, which of you is the first to speak? 
who is the uh, the speech bubble drawn next to first? Mr. President, well, first let me say it's an honor. It wasn't too much long ago that I signed up to serve and protect in Philadelphia. And now that I'm this hero, I guess, well, I think I'd be a fool not to sign up again. First of all, Torchbearer, the honor is all mine. Your bravery in Philadelphia over the past year or so is... Quite frankly, what drew my attention to you? It's very kind of you to say, sir. Well, Hal, if Torch is up for this level of butt-kissing, I am here for the ride. As she scooches in next to Torchbearer, by the way, and I do call you Torch. Everybody's getting a shortened nickname. I wouldn't call it (laughs) butt-kissing. Either way, I'm here. Good job, Mr. President. He's a good one. Thank you for your recommendation, Geiger Gwen. Your work with the women in the Pacific Northwest is what drew my attention to you. I believe it is quite admirable what you are doing, and I believe women could look up to someone like you. That's a bit of a stretch, but I'm here if you need me. Before Crystal Gazer speaks, uh, let me ask you a question. Hmm. She is reading the president's mind. Um... Is there anything that she might glean that he hasn't said out loud? Oh, gosh. Marlo, <laughs> if you want to read the President of the United States' mind, we must make some sort of move. I would like for you to roll an investigate move. <laughs> yeah. Um, first roll, first roll, first roll. So first how many roll, dice do roll. I roll? Uh, you first will roll, roll 2d6, and you will add... Your, yeah, the first the first roll of the first show of the podcast. <laughs> yeah. uh, you will roll two d six and add your investigate uh, power to it. Okay. Oh yes, okay. Let me say that on mic. Attribute. Okay. <laughs> okay. Oh, oh, okay. Uh, hold on, hold on. Hold on, hold on. Hold on, hold on. Wait a minute. That's a twelve. Oh. Ooh. Okay. That is a twelve. <laughs> okay. Nice. I rolled an eleven. Okay. I I said investigate. That's still left over from City of Mist. I totally meant examine. Um, ah. But uh, either way, uh, on a ten plus, you ask the EIC, which is me, the editor in chief, uh, three questions from the list below. What happened here recently? What is about to happen? What danger should I be on the lookout for? What here is useful or important? Who's really in control here? And what here is not what it appears to be? What happened here recently? And framed in the way of like, what happened with this situation recently? Like, what made him pick this group? Oh, what made him What made him put this uh, superhero team together? Yeah, um, kind of, yeah. Yeah, yeah, you you pry into the mind of President Roosevelt, uh, asking yourself what what happened to make him suddenly decide to put this team together after you know the USA has been involved in World War II for a year. What made him do it now? Mm-hmm. Um, prying into his mind, you see that he was just a month ago at a convention with Winston Churchill and Joseph Stalin, the leaders of the uh, other allied nations in this war, uh, and they had a discussion, and things are not going well in Europe. Uh, Adolf Hitler has a superhero, uh, or I guess, depending on how you look at it, a supervillain, let's just say a super-powered being, 
who seems to be invincible and all-powerful. Before the Soviet Union was able to repel uh, Germany's advance into the country, but now uh, Hitler has re-engaged the plan to take out the Soviet Union, and he has put Ubermensch on the front lines. And so the Soviet Union does not have that long before it collapses, which will be a huge uh, shift in power in the war in Europe. Wow. Yeah. This is, I, I, it occurred to me as you were telling me all this, how probably absolutely against the law this would be, <laughs> given all of the top secret information within yeah. the president's mind. Um, <laughs> I think that kind of, because my next question was going to be what danger should I be on the lookout for, but I think that that, I mean, maybe, okay, so what danger should I be on the lookout for with this? Because we're talking about Ubermensch. Um, but that kind of answers the question, doesn't it? What you know? Are there any more details? I guess of that things that I should be for the danger that I should be on the lookout for. Um, the Nazis have uh, come up with some way to manufacture superhuman soldiers. Um, and you once again looking into his mind, he learned about this whenever he met with Winston Churchill, the Prime Minister of the United, or not the United Kingdom of Great Britain. Um last month and he was told about this intelligence there um he he doesn't know how many they have produced uh where they are uh but if it is true then that spells even more certain doom for the the free people of the world okay and then i have one more question um yep this question uh, who's really in control here? Um, is there a shadow government? <laughs> we a shadow know. government. Into the deep question. Uh, right I off cannot the reveal that to you on episode one. Uh, <laughs> but she rolled a <laughs> twelve. <laughs> um, well, podcast over. We know that the president's the real villain. Whoops. The lizard yep. people. Uh, you saw through my ruse. Um, America was the enemy could, all along. We could frame it more along the lines of like, um, is another government agency sort of overseeing this? Like, who's really in charge of this team that he's putting together? Who will be be reporting to? Like, who's really in charge of this team? Interesting, interesting. Um, you pick up on the the fringes of his thought. You pick up the name Henry Richter. Um, and before you can pry deeper into that name, there's a little bit of static interference. Uh, and first of all, uh, Crystal Gazer, I would like for you to tell us how, like, how are the panels drawn that shows Crystal Gazer getting this information? Like, does she see the president with Churchill and Stalin, uh, like in some sort of scene? Like, what, what do those panels look like? Does a that's so raven into her face? <laughs> <laughs> yes. uh, you see her eyes wide, and they turn they turn this sort of deep blue color, and it shows um, in her eyes the beginning of the scene of them at the the conference um, and talking together, um, and then you hear snippets. Uh, you see like snippets written around it 
of the information that she's kind of gathered as though it's snippets of their conversation that's coming through as though she's picking up memory. And, and then as it moves through to this Richter individual, you, it starts to show an image. Um, and she hears the name Whisper, but it's very... There's some static over the top, and as his image starts to show, it starts to fizzle. Like when you try to look at something, but your eyes won't focus, and then it kind mm. of fizzles back out. It's when okay. your antenna gets blown the wrong direction. No, yeah. which I think is the perfect time for Doctor Fusion uh, to be walking by Crystal Gazer. Uh, you're here with all these superheroes. You're here with the president, uh, but for some reason, your eyes keep going to Geiger Gwyn. You swear that you have seen her somewhere before, but you cannot place it. See, I just kind of side-eye Geiger Gwyn and extend my hand out to the president. Mr. President, it is a pleasure. He grips your hand and shakes it. He says, uh, the pleasure is all mine, Mr. Liebholt. I must say your, uh, your work has been very inspirational and... I believe it will help us in the long run in ending this war. I certainly hope so. Yeah, mission shrugs. What are we here for exactly? Can we um, move on with whatever's next? Uh, the president looks over in your direction and his eyes go wide for a second uh, as, off, as if he didn't expect to see you there. Uh, and he starts, he opens up that manila folder they had on his desk and starts shuffling through some of the papers. And he taps one, he says, ah, yes, uh, omission. Um, I'm, I apologize, I forgot you were here. It's okay. Um, no need to apologize. What do you want us to do? What's the next step? Well, uh, the next step would be uh, signing these agreements to join the Operation American Defense. Uh, I will introduce you to your government liaison, and we will send you overseas post-haste to join the war effort. Okay. I'll move forward, looking for the documents to sign. And uh, as you, you move forward, he, like, spaces out the, the six pieces of paper, and he scoots one to the edge of his desk towards Mother Midnight and he looks at you. Where do I sign? Right here, Mother Midnight. And uh, I understand you are a single parent at home with a child. Uh, while you are overseas, I can arrange for some sort of security detail to be posted at your bed and breakfast uh, to keep an eye on her, if you would wish. That won't be necessary. She can hold her own. Very well. I sign on the dotted line. Uh, how does your signature look, Mother Midnight? Well, you see... <laughs> I may have forged my mother's signature a time or two. Mm. Or at least practiced. I had to sign for things at the bed and breakfast sometimes, so... Okay. It, it looks okay. Okay. Does everyone sign? Yeah, of course. Yeah. Mission just puts like a singular line. 
the president gathers all the papers up again. Very well. With these signed agreements, uh, I will introduce you to your government liaison. Uh, Hives, could you come in here, please? And the door to the Oval Office opens, and uh, a man that was standing outside steps in. Uh, and we see a little yellow box next to his name as he steps in, and it says Henry, and then in, er, in uh, quotation marks it says Hives, Richter. And the little subtext beneath it says, Government Liaison to Operation American Defense. This is Sergeant Henry Richter. He will be your liaison uh, between you and me. Because quite frankly, I know there is a war, but I am also running for re-election. And he smiles. Henry is a dutiful servant, a well-honed soldier, he will be your liaison between the government and yourself, and he will be overseeing your operations overseas. Good to meet you, Sergeant. Hives, does that mean I have to be all hot and bothered for you to come by, or can I just come and you'll call? Or, you know, call and you'll come. <laughs> That's not um, what I meant. <laughs> yeah, I saw some looks. That's not what I meant. Yeah. That is I'm not bothered. okay. Dang it, <laughs> <laughs> Marlo! I looked at your it face first. That, it was perfect. <laughs> I thought it was excellent. Yeah, I, I loved it. It's good. It's so good. <laughs> and this is why I don't go outside. Yeah, somebody, uh, somebody, give me a little. Uh, what's the first thing you notice about Henry Richter? He seems. He seems like he still carries like his military service with him. Like he's still like stands up very straight. His whole uniform is just straight as can be. Just like straight as an arrow. Just how I expect him to be, like his personality to be, really. Yeah, yeah. Sergeant Richter uh keeps up his stern facade, his hands clasped behind his back, uh, and he says I am here to serve you and tend to your needs as you see fit. I consider it an honor to answer this call from the president and to help you in this war effort. Service away. I feel the same, Sergeant. It's an honor to, to be here and I hope we can help. Just doing our duty. Yeah, yeah I, th- I think she's glanced over at this um, individual um, who I imagine is wearing a very, um, I'm, I'm imagining a very polished, very every edge is perfectly right, every pin is perfectly right a mm-hmm. uh a world war ii style uniform mm-hmm. uh and she glances at him and then looks and glares at dr fusion like <laughs> what like you see like this little thought bubble like what the hell <laughs> <laughs> yeah dr fusion's too busy still trying to figure out how he knows geiger gwyn the president looks at the six of you looks at richter uh and says well, Sergeant, I leave them in your capable hands. Godspeed, heroes. And may you bring an end to this wall and bring as many boys as you can back home. We turn the page. Uh, and you're inside a C-46 commando. And the little yellow bubble in the corner says, uh, Over the Mediterranean Sea, March 1943. And the six of you are in here Sergeant Richter is also in there with you, and he is cinching up a parachute across his chest. 
And as he is, there is this uh, British intelligence officer with like this pencil-thin mustache uh, giving you directions. Now I have to do a British accent. I don't know why yeah. I just can't say Sergeant Richter. <laughs> never mind. Let's do Sergeant Richter's giving you the instructions. <laughs> Boo. All right, fine. I'll do a British dude's voice. I just yeah. want to hear it for like a little, just a do little bit. Do what you need. <laughs> Where we are about to drop in uh, is a heavily fortified area. We are trying to advance our troops through this valley. And he like points with a little stick at this map that is held down by four, four weights on its four corners on the, the bed or the on the bottom it's not the ground of the plane what is it called the floor of the plane it's held on the floor of the plane uh i do words good sometimes <laughs> um but he's pointing at the different locations on this map and he points to the middle uh in order for us to fully push the german and italian armies out of north africa we have to get our armies through this pass but the Germans have set up panzer tanks in the pass, and we cannot break through their defensive line. Uh, this is our primary objective, clearing the panzer tanks so that our forces can continue to chase Erwin Rommel out of North Africa. There are two subsidiary targets as well. He points to the west of the valley. Here is an indigenous village. Uh, the Nazis have set up in the village, and they have artillery set up uh, in some fortifications they have made inside the village. This, added to the panzers in the valley, makes extremely difficult and dangerous for our army to continue to advance. Taking out those artillery and taking out the fortifications in the village will make it easier for us to take out the panzer tanks. However, on the east side of the valley, our anti-aircraft guns keeping our bombers from coming in. If we can clear out the anti-aircraft guns, we could very easily assist with our bombers in taking out the panzer tanks. There are three objectives that we must complete, but the primary objective is clearing the panzers out of the valley. I will leave it to you to decide how you want to split up and divide your attention. However, I will mention he looks at his watch. You only have about 10 minutes before we reach the drop zone. All right. Geiger Gwen jumps. She goes, where did you come from? <laughs> yeah, I think right at the same time, Crystal Gazer does the same thing. I think everybody does. <laughs> You're exactly what we need right now. Who's up for taking down these anti-aircraft uh, anti guns? Sure. What's the plan? What were the options? What were the, was it three things? Yeah, to, to go over the, the mechanical objectives again, uh, there are the panzer tanks, the panzer tanks in the valley. Uh, that's your primary objective. Once you clear out the panzer tanks, you will get an allied tanks one asset, uh, which means that if you can figure out how allied tanks would help you, you can add that plus one to your roll. You cannot use that until the panzer tanks are cleared out. That's one objective. Uh, a second objective is taking out the artillery fortifications in the mountain village. Uh, and once you remove uh, the artillery, uh, whoever is in the valley fighting the panzer tanks will not have a pin down one complication on their rolls. 
Um, that's the second objective. And then the third objective is taking out the anti-aircraft guns on the ridge. Once you take out the anti-aircraft guns, you will get an Allied Bombers 1 asset that whoever is in the valley can then add to their roles to attack the Panzers. Um, however you want to tackle these objectives is up to you. Is there anybody who would like to accompany omission? I'd hate to have you go alone, Sugar. Let's do this. You can just call me omission. Yeah. Sorry. No, it's okay. I just don't really respond well to terms of endearment. All right. We'll handle uh, them. Uh, I assume we have radios so we can let everyone know when it's done. We have two radio units that we can supply to you. And he motions to, like, this huge, bulky, like, backpack apparatus uh, with, like, a little antenna sticking out the top of it. I assume I can have a pistol. Gwen reaches onto her thigh and pulls out her mini little special and just passes it over. Here you go. I'll take the radio. Puts the radio on her back. Um, and, um, uh, preferably, um, do we have a syringe and some potassium chloride, uh, or even sodium theopental? Uh, the British intelligence officer cocks an eyebrow, uh, and he looks around the, the sparse accommodations inside this C-46 commando, and he says, um, I'm afraid we do not. In the future, I suggest having some. I'll try to remember that. Well, I'm going wherever this one's going. She points to Dr. Fusion. Just seems like our attitudes uh, would work together. Well, I suppose we will tackle the artillery then? If you wouldn't mind. Do you think you're up for it? I believe I can handle it. Um, you can take the radio. Do you have a flare gun? The British intelligence officer reaches over to the wall and he grabs a flare gun and he hands it over to you. You see this? We are done. Sounds good. Uh, Mother Midnight, would you uh, mind joining me in the valley? Maybe the two of us can handle those panzers. So when he asks the question, he looks over and she just has a compact open and she's like touching up her face. Mm-hmm. So she looks like she might be extra. <laughs> <laughs> but she snaps it shut and says, yes, I think so. Glad to hear it. Those panzers might be a little bit much. I think we could use some heavy hitters down there. Everybody understand what needs to be done? War. It's not difficult to understand. Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> that will take some getting used to. Um, sir, where is the rendezvous? As soon as everybody's accomplished their objectives, group up on me, and then we'll head to the village together. Sounds just fine. Sure. We see two little onomatopoeia, uh, bang, bang, as somebody in the cockpit bangs on the door to let y'all know that you've reached the drop point. Sergeant Richter grabs the metal door and slides it open. And outside the door, you can see uh, the dark, 
plumes of artillery shells exploding not too far away from your drop ship. And Sergeant Richter fastens the, the parachute around his chest and on his back. He says, after you, heroes. And then I think <laughs> we turn to the next page and we just have this very awesome splash page of like the underside of the C-46 commando with all six heroes and Sergeant Richter behind you, like all jumping out of this ship, like flying down towards uh, the battleground beneath you. I imagine um, Deadpool 2 and we all die. And- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just horrible deaths. friends and welcome to the mid-roll section of episode one of tales to inspire season one i'm your host david white and welcome to our new show welcome to new listeners and welcome to our old listeners who have been with us since misconceptions i hope you are all ready for a great story uh the cast of tales to inspire and i have been so excited for you to listen to the show to hear the stories that we're telling to get to love the characters that we have created um and i hope that you're enjoying it so far you know 45 minutes in i hope that you are enjoying this show uh like i said i am david i am the eic i am the producer of the misconceptions podcast network in case you didn't know uh that's the network that you know was running this whole thing um, but I just want to say welcome to this new show, and I hope that you are ready for a great story because I, I truly believe this is going to be a fun time. And those of you that uh, listen to Misconceptions all the way from episode one all the way to episode ninety-two, uh, you can you can hey, why don't you meet these new people? They're they're a little shy, you know. You can help them come out of their shell, uh, and then once you do, just blast them with information about how great Misconceptions was and how great Tells to Inspire is going to be because I am taking everything I learned from the past two, three, four years of making misconceptions and applying it to Tales to Inspire. So I hope that you are ready for just a great, great story with some great, great characters and some great, great people. Uh, Let me say great one more time. Great. All right, uh, so what this is, is this is the mid-roll section. This is where I interrupt (laughs) your regularly scheduled broadcasting to just give you some show information. Um, So first up, uh, this is an alternate history podcast, obviously. Um, I am not, you know, a, a history guru uh, I, I enjoy history, I enjoy learning about it, and I have really enjoyed kind of playing with this alternate history uh, aspect of this show, you know, looking at, hey, if this happened here, would this happen in the future, or maybe would it happen differently? Um, so I've really enjoyed playing with the alternate history stuff, and season one has some good alternate history stuff. Uh, also, we are playing Worlds in Peril, a an RPG created by Sam Joko Publishing, or I guess I should say put out 
by Sam Joko Publishing. Um, but if you are here to learn how to play Worlds in Peril, this might not be the podcast for you. Because before we even started recording, I had hacked and edited some of the rules, especially the um, like the damage health management system. I definitely modified that to be something a little more... A little more understandable, not so complicated. Um, And I edited some other moves and things like that. Um, And in a couple of episodes, we're going to hack it even more. Uh, So, I'll say all that to say, this might not be the podcast for you to listen to to learn how to play Tales to Inspire. But, if you're into superheroes, if you're into actual plays, if you're into fantastic role-playing, you're in the right spot, my friend. Because that is what Tells to Inspire is all about. We have a Patreon, and our Patreon helps pay for the sound effects, the music, the ambiance that you hear in this episode. And probably the most important part is that it helps me pay the performers of our shows, both here at Tells to Inspire, but also our sister podcast, Sins of the Father, which you should definitely check out. Um, But uh, if you like what we do here, Uh, consider going to Patreon. Giving any amount will really, really help us out. Uh, Right now, we have a goal to get to $500 a month. And at $500 a month, I will be able to pay our editors, uh, myself, I edit here at Tells to Inspire, and then Marlo, the voice of Crystal Gazer, she edits Sins of the Father. Uh, And I would love to be able to pay our editors more. But we need your help to do that. Uh, so as I'm talking about Patreon, I just, let, let me take you on a little mind journey real quick. All right. So you're listening to Tells to Inspire episode one. You're really vibing with it and you're having a good time. These characters, the action, so, so cool. Wait, no, it can't be. The episode's already over. Oh man, this really chaps my khakis. Oh wait, what's this? Episode two already? Huh, I guess it's because I give $5 a month on Misconceptions Podcast Patreon. So, if you give $5 a month, I almost said $500. If you give $500 a month, you can just do whatever you want with the show. It's yours now. Um, But if you give $5 a month, you will get access to two episodes of Tales to Inspire every two weeks. You will be able to listen to Tales to Inspire two times faster than everybody else. Uh, so if you're really liking the show, if you really want to binge listen to Tells to Inspire, just go get $5 a month. It's not a lot, that, that, but it will really help us out. It will help us reach that goal, help us pay our performers, our editors, upkeep, everything like that. It would really help us out if you pledged on Patreon. And you know, while I'm talking about Patreon, I think we should give a shout-out to our patrons. Uh, Super Luigi Bro, thank you. I've always enjoyed you more than Mario. You have a special place in my heart, Super Luigi bro. Thank you. Tessa Wolford. Tessa, the voice of Faye Carver from Misconceptions. You know her. We love her. And now we love her a little more because she gave us some money on Patreon. But Tessa, thank you so much for supporting us. Carl Collins. Carl, thank you so much for supporting us. And I love the alliteration in your name. You definitely sound like a 1940s hero. Cloud009. I think I know who this is. You can't hide behind that username, Jacob. I know it's you. Thank you so much for pledging and supporting us. 
Joseph Knoll, thank you for supporting us. And I just want to point out, you are not the knoll that presidents are commonly shot from, and you're also not the knoll that is a horrible hyena person that worships a demon god. You're just Joseph Knoll. And Joseph Knoll, we thank you for supporting us. And finally, Alex White. Alex White, thank you for supporting us on Patreon. Even before you supported us on Patreon, I felt this, this kinship with you, Alex White. I don't know why I, David White, would feel this kindred spirit with you, Alex White. But regardless, Alex White, David White feels this kinship with you. Can't put my finger on it, but I just want to say thank you. And that's enough out of me. These little uh, show notes will be shorter in the future. Uh, I just wanted to introduce you to the show, introduce you to myself, and also say a little bit about our Patreon. But now, let's get back to the rest of this episode. We see uh, some German soldiers and Italian soldiers running around. They have on uh, these brown uh, green fatigues with helmets on. There is an array of anti-aircraft uh, guns lined up on this ridge. Uh, and we see big plumes of fire and smoke billowing out of the cannons. And we see the onomatopoeias. Uh, boom, boom, crack, boom. Uh, as they all go off, these German soldiers are running back and forth, and we see a, a commander uh, yelling at the the people, or yelling at the soldiers that are loading up the anti-aircraft shells, uh, and he's shouting. And in the little word bubble, we see a little asterisk next to his words, and down in the corner, there's a white box that says "translated from German," uh, and he's yelling at his soldiers, his platoon. Hurry! Hurry! Load the guns! We cannot let the British bombers... This is an awful German (laughs) accent, but he's going to be dead soon anyways. Uh, We cannot let the British bombers reach our location! And right at that moment, I think we have a panel of him yelling, and we see, like, two shadows appear uh, next to him. Uh, And then the next panel is a little closer, and he looks up. And we see the little word bubble come out of his mouth. Shit. And then in the next panel, we see two figures colliding with him. Uh, who do we see colliding with this Nazi officer? <laughs> Not me. <laughs> it's probably Gwen. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, describe this this panel. What does it look um, like? Um, You see Gwen in her cat suit. But she phases through the guy until she's standing right behind him and then you see her hand go through his chest in a way and just like a fist on the other side and she's like hey honey and that's all it is hmm uh omission what do we see you doing in the next panel uh omission um uh just kind of walks next to uh Nazi, uh, looking at him for uh, a brief moment before plunging a dagger into the side of his skull. 
slipping it out and then watching him slump on the ground. Brutal. Uh, all right, so uh, mechanically, here is how uh, the anti-aircraft batteries are going to play out. Uh, this ridge is protected by a mob of Africa Corps, um, and they have uh, a size rating of 5 at a factor of 10. Uh, so roughly that translates to there are about 50 soldiers on this ridge. Uh, whenever you take an action to uh, like take them out or reduce them, you reduce their numbers by 10. Um, so once you, you know, 5 at a factor of 10, once you attack them 5 times or deal like 5 uh, damage to them, basically they're knocked out. Um, but uh, there are also the anti-aircraft guns, um, and there are two of them. Um, so, in order to target the anti-aircraft guns, you will have to roll a seize control versus the mob of Africa Corps to destroy an anti-aircraft gun. And if you roll a success, you destroy the anti-aircraft gun. Um, or, you can focus on wiping out the mob completely, and then you can just destroy the anti-aircraft guns without having to roll. Um, so however you want to approach it, but you are on this ridge with 50 uh, German soldiers all around you. What do you do? I know you don't like me calling you sweetie, but I'm gonna say, sweetie, I'm gonna do this. And then I run off towards the first aircraft gun. Okay. Uh, so you're gonna target that aircraft gun. I would like for you to roll a seize control. Oh, is that smash? Uh, seize control. Uh, whenever you and another character struggle over a contested goal or object, say how you outsmart, outmaneuver, uh, overpower, or otherwise try to overcome them. The EIC will tell you which stat to add to your roll. So how are you wanting to get to this? And that will determine which stat you use. All right, well, Geiger Gwen is going to try and dip and dodge her way towards the first aircraft gun to make it backfire in some way. So she's going to, anybody that is in her way, she's going to attempt to not hurt, but just get around. So dodging her way towards the first aircraft gun. Yeah, this definitely sounds like a maneuver then. So take 2d6 and roll with your maneuver stat. That's a 10. That's a 10. That is a success. So on a 10 plus, you choose to seize control over what was contested. You prevent yourself from ending up at a disadvantage or in harm's way, or you put your opponent at a disadvantage. I'm going to put them at a disadvantage. Okay. And you got one more. Uh, if you're wanting to seize control over what was contested, that means you, like, you get to the anti-aircraft uh, gun. Oh, yeah. That's what I want then. For sure. Okay. So get to the anti-aircraft gun and you put your opponent at a disadvantage. So describe for us what, what do we see in the panels as Geiger Gwen gets to the anti-aircraft gun? Uh, so you see a picture of Geiger Gwen kind of weaving her th way through the people and a punch or two through a couple Nazis. Um, as she makes her way to the gun, she rips up a big-ass rock from the ground <laughs> and shoves it into the end of the gun and kind of just whips her way around and kind of stays there as like a deterrent from anybody else hitting the controls 
Hmm, interesting. And when you say you put it in the end of the gun, do you like phase it into like the actual loading mechanism of the gun? Yeah, yeah. I make sure it's right where it needs to be to make anything stop that needs okay. to happen. Uh, yeah, you, you reach it right as they have loaded a shell in. They have spun the uh, wheel to close the hatch, and they are going to pull back on the lever to fire it. You grab, as you have said, the big-ass rock. You phase it into the barrel, and you pull it out. And as you do, they pull that lever down, and we just see a big onomatopoeia. And we see, like, the back end of that anti-aircraft gun explode outwards, uh, engulfing the two Nazi soldiers that were loading it in flames and smoke. You chose, because of your seized control, you chose not to prevent yourself from ending up at a disadvantage or in harm's way. So I think as you turn around from that exploding machine, uh, you see this line of Nazi soldiers all with their guns pointed at you. Uh, ready to fire. Um, but I think we turn the page. What is Omission doing? Uh, so is there one more left? or is it all There is only one more left. Geiger Gwen has taken out one already. <sighs> I mean, if she wants to show off and get the other one, I think that'd be nice. Um, <laughs> for his uh, particular mission, uh, he is going to be targeting the um, captains and uh, kind of seeing if he can rifle through their intel before shit hits a fan. Okay, so uh, there was like a captain there that Geiger Gwyn knocked out um, or, you know, eviscerated from the inside out because she shoved her hand through his chest. Um, Are you wanting to rifle through his belongings? That's perfect, yes. Okay, uh, this is definitely an examine, so go ahead and roll a 2d6 plus your investigate. All right, come on. Oh, I got a seven. A seven, that's good enough to pass. Uh, so you get to ask one question. What happened here recently? What is about to happen? What danger should I be on the lookout for? What here is useful or important? Who's really in control here? What here is not what it appears to be? What here is not what it appears to be? Uh, you are rifling through his belongings. You find this folded up letter in a pouch. You unfurl it and you're looking through and it has these orders that have been issued from somebody who is named Oberfjord Guido von Veers. Um, and I think right next to his name, you see head of occult Jesselschaft. And all these orders are coming from him. And it seems like as much as this is a fortification uh, for military purposes, this Oberfjord von Veers is here looking for something. And he has made it very plain and clear that that is the true purpose of this site. He is not to be disturbed and the allies are to be held off until he finds what he is looking for. And where is this location at? It doesn't... Hmm, does it say? I don't think it says. Not in his intel, anyways. Yeah, he's gonna pocket it. Um, is there blood on this individual? 
Um, I don't know. How does how does Geiger Gwen's phasing abilities work? It doesn't physically affect anyone unless she deems it necessary. So, uh, if I was reaching through him to cause harm, there would be a little bit of blood on his chest for sure. Yeah, that's unfortunate. And looks like everyone looking up uh, at the guards pointing their weapons at uh, my comrade. I mean, this works out perfectly. If no one's looking at the other cannon, uh, it'll take a stroll over there. <laughs> okay, and we will uh, we will deal with Omission's stroll in a second as we cut back to Geiger Gwyn. Geiger Gwyn. These Nazi soldiers have you in their sights. They pull back the hammer on their rifle, and they're going to shoot at you. Boys, there's only one of me. Uh, go ahead and roll a defy danger. So roll 2d6 and add your protect to it. Oh, no. <laughs> six. A six. Okay, so... Uh, Geiger Gwyn, you can either choose to fail this roll, and when you fail a roll, whenever you get a zero through, th- zero through six, you get to mark one advancement on your character sheet. Uh, and once you get so many advancements, you get to click or you get to pick an achievement and basically level up your character. So you can fail this roll, take the full whatever's about to happen to you, uh, and get a, a an advancement, or you can choose to burn a bond and advance your bond clock with one person and step up your success by one step. So you would step it up to a seven through nine. I'm gonna uh, burn a bond. All right, uh, what bond are you burning? Uh, with omission. I suppose that's the okay. do it. So how is, well, I guess let's do it like this. Uh, go ahead and describe what are you doing and how does it put omission, or how does it put strain on your relationship with omission? As that's happening, I'm kind of just like in the background going, all right, boys, here I am. But instead of actually making any motion to take care of them, I'm walking backwards towards whatever exit is closest to me. I kind of blow a kiss and dodge out of the way. Oh, okay. Let's do it like this. Geiger Gwyn, you are trying to escape. You're here by yourself. You're doing this mission by yourself. So, of course, drawing their fire this way, no one's going to get hit. Oh, wait. You forgot about omission. That makes total sense. Yeah, I'm like, oh. oh <laughs> <laughs> um... So, uh, Geiger Gwyn, as the uh, 7 through 9 with Defy Danger, uh, you get to choose one of these. You can take the stress or complication on its intended track, but lower it by one, or you can take the full stress or complication, but you can change what track it is applied to. So all of the characters have uh, stress tracks. You have a physical an emotional and a mental stress track. Uh, right now, you are going to be taking a uh, physical stress one status. Okay. Or not status, sorry, that's City of Mist. Uh, physical one 
physical stress one. Ah, you're going to be taking one physical stress. Uh, so, let's see. You can't really step it down to a zero because, I mean, you didn't get a, you didn't get a 10 plus. So, you're still going to take some stress. Um, so, so, which of those options do you want to choose? But if I keep their attention fully on me, I don't take any more... I'm not letting him take any more emotional or mental, yeah? Um, I mean, because you, you burn this bond with him, it's going to impact him in some negative way. Um, so, wh- whatever you choose to do, it's going to put omission in a bad way, and that's going to put strain on y'all's relationship. Okay, yeah, yeah. Um, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> So, so, you you can either take the one physical stress yeah. and check that box on your physical stress track, or you can switch it to an emotional or mental stress uh, at a one. No, I'm going to take the physical. Okay. Uh, so, you you at, like you described it, you're looking for the exit, you're walking, your hands are up, and uh, as you turn to, like, jump over this ridge and down to, like, a little landing below... They fire. Some of their bullets uh, hit near you. Some of them graze past your arms and legs. Uh, and you take a physical stress one. Uh, nothing too bad right now. Um, but let's see what's happening with Omission. Omission, these bullets are whizzing past you as you were just leisurely strolling over to the anti-aircraft gun. Um, and I think now we need to roll a seize control to try to get to um, get to your target. Oh, crap. Uh, okay. Uh, I fail with a five. <gasps> oh, man. Uh, okay, so same thing with Christy. You can either choose to fail and take the full uh, stress and get a advancement, or you can burn a bond uh, and step up your zero through six to a seven through nine. Uh, let's fail it. Oh, okay, no. go ahead and click uh, one advancement. Uh, and you're going to take the full status. I, I keep using status. I keep using these city of mist terms. <laughs> it's going to be very hard to break. Uh, so uh, the bullets that were meant for Geiger Gwen whiz towards you as you... Uh, I, I don't know. What what happens? What, what happens as Omission realizes some bullets are rushing towards him? Oh, wait. Yeah. I'm, do, I'm treating this like a defy danger. This is totally a seize control. Um, and whatever. You, you're going to take one stress either way. So what what happens as you uh, these bullets are whizzing towards you? Yeah, so kind of seeing that the attention's now coming back towards him uh, and that they'll start to see him, um, he will just uh, jump down into one of the trench after... Uh, uh, being clipped in the shoulder uh, and start uh, I guess he'll be pinned down at that point in time with bullets kind of just going over him uh, yeah, waiting definitely. for it all to pass yeah yeah uh, yeah. one of them hits your shoulder you dive into that trench uh, pinned down and then I think we turn the page who's the next uh, group we go to is it us? sure yeah sure on the other side of the ridge, we see these uh, kind of brick houses with flat sides, uh, a domed roof, 
curtains where uh, doors would normally be. Uh, we see beautiful colors of blue and green, but they've kind of been washed out with the dust and warfare that has been happening here, uh, marring what should be a otherwise beautiful village. Uh, and we see uh, the Africa Corps here as well, marching through the streets. We see these uh, artillery guns, these huge Gatling guns that are pointed down into the valley. And we see some people operating them, feeding the belt of bullets in, cranking the lever uh, as they're just firing round after round down onto the advancing Allied troops, keeping them at bay along with the Panzer tanks. Um, and we see the people that live here uh, hiding in their houses, staying out of the way as these Africa Corps are just running back and forth, shouting to each other. And then I think we have two heroes parachuting in. Could you describe how you parachute in? Yeah, as the parachutes are coming down at the last, like, I don't know, 30 feet or so, uh, Dr. Fusion kind of cuts the lines and drops onto his feet. The parachute just kind of flutters down to the ground behind him. Yeah, I think Crystal Gazer does not land that gracefully. <laughs> uh, she kind of, like, splats on the ground, and uh, the parachute just kind of slowly drifts and lands down on her like a blanket. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Uh, Dr. Fusion will um, go over and help pull the parachute off of her. Thanks. Uh, and as she stands up and dusts herself off, she looks at him. Why can't I read your mind? Why are you trying? I read everyone's mind. Well, I'm afraid I don't know. And right at that moment, there is a... Um, an armored truck that trundles by uh, the house that y'all are on top of and you can feel the house shaking beneath you uh, and you can hear the Germans shouting angrily to each other as they trundle on past where you are. And mechanically, just like how Omission and Geiger Gwen are having to deal with it, um, you will have to do a seize control versus the mob of Africa Corps soldiers that is in the village uh, to get to, there are two uh, artillery uh, guns here um, to get to them and destroy them. Uh, you could either you do the seize control to get to them, or you could wipe out the whole mob first, however you choose to tackle it. Get me to one of those artillery guns, and uh, I think I can convince that one to shoot the other one. If we take them both out, we could potentially use them against their own forces. Well, either way, I can control mine as long as it's not your mind. I take some solace in that. I don't. <laughs> Alright. Uh, whoever's taking the lead in this, please roll a seize control. Um, and whoever is not taking the lead in this, if you want to, you could roll an aid or interfere move. Uh, which would, you know, be you describing how you aid them. You would roll uh, with your bond score with that person, uh, and however you, uh, you know, however you roll, you would be helping that person in what they do. Um. So our intent here is to sneak to those artillery guns. I think so. So I mean, so we're but we're seizing control of the guns themselves. So. Basically, we're trying to, in the description of seize control, we're trying to outmaneuver the troops in order to get to oh, our goal. Oh, the outmaneuver. Yeah. 
Okay, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, even even if you do this sneakily, the the main objective is to seize control of those uh, of those uh, artillery guns. So that's why you're rolling a seize control versus a, a sneak around. Okay. Is there is there anything nearby that I could like th- toss with my mind abilities to make a clattering sound someplace else to like? draw them one direction and then we maneuver our way towards the guns oh sure this is a this is a village that has been uh ransacked by an occupying force uh there is debris everywhere there are broken furniture uh just out in the the hallways or not hallways uh alleyways and streets uh there's plenty that you could just pick up and throw yeah um i'm gonna look for a like Maybe a cart or something. It would have like the little sure, sure. moped things with like wagons attached to them. Um, can can you lift something that heavy? Uh, it depends on how big it is. Uh, if it's uh smaller than a pickup truck, then yes. Okay. Uh, yeah, it's definitely smaller than a pickup truck. So, uh. Are you you're wanting to assist uh, Doctor Fusion? Yeah, by creating a like distraction. Okay, so let's go ahead and roll an aid or interfere. So roll plus your bond score with Doctor Fusion. What is your bond score with Doctor Fusion? I think it's just one. Okay, so go ahead and roll plus one. Roll plus one is eight. And eight, so on a seven through nine, you choose one, but there's an obstacle to overcome first. Uh, You also expose yourself to danger, retribution, or the EIC will offer you an ugly choice. Choose one. Uh, So choose one of these. You make an untenable position or course secure. You avoid taking harm in the doing, or they take a plus one uh, or minus two forward. Your choice. And uh, what the what the plus one forward minus two forward is just they apply that to the next roll they make, so either plus one or minus two to their next roll. So okay, so I, I'm I'm confused. So a plus one or a minus two forward? I don't understand that. Like if I'm helping but I'm harming. Yeah, so this this move is aid or interfere. So if you're wanting to aid oh. someone, you would give them a plus one forward. But okay. if your teammate was doing something you don't agree with, you would want to give them a minus two gotcha, to their gotcha. role. Okay. okay. Um, I'm, I'm going to make the course secure. Okay. So you're going to uh, open it up for them to get to. Um, okay, so describe for us how you... How does it look as you pick this thing up and chunk it? So you see this, um, it's like a, basically just like a metal attachment that would attach on the back of some kind of vehicle. Um, And it probably was recently unloaded uh, of whatever it had inside of it. Um, Could have been ammo, could have been food, whatever. And you see uh, she steps over to the edge and stands and you see this sort of gust of wind as her hair flies back a bit. And she... Um, looks like in, she doesn't. She doesn't put her like hand up to her face or anything like that, like a Professor X style or anything. But she looks at it, and then she blinks. And when she blinks, it lifts up in the air and just blows through the air and goes. Whoo! And it goes tossing 
like three blocks downward to land and make a huge crash in the direction that those people were just driving, but not to hit them to make a noise that'll distract mm-hmm. anybody. To distract them, yeah. Um, and Crystal Gazer, I think it takes you a moment to collect yourself from chunking that. And as you're collecting yourself, uh, some soldiers in the area saw this vehicle go flying down the road uh, and they were nearby and they look up and they see Dr. Fusion jump from one roof to another but then they see you in your brightly colored blue uniform standing on top of the uh, building and they're going to take shots at you Um, so go ahead and roll a defy danger against one physical stress okay Uh, uh, so seven uh, a seven, a seven is uh, good enough. You're not going to, well, you'll get to choose. You either take the stress uh, on its intended track, but you lower it by one. Unfortunately, it's already at a one, so you can't step it down further. Uh, or you take the full stress or complication, but you can change what track it is applied to. Um, so which of those options do you pick? So rather than it being physical, I could uh, choose emotional or mental. Mm-hmm. And you could describe how it affects you, uh, emotional or mentally. Okay. <laughs> so uh, I'm gonna change it to um, a mental stress. Okay. So as they shoot at her, it narrowly misses her, but she like lets out a like yip and like cowers she is not used to actually being shot at. (laughs) And so she kind of cowers down and like hyperventilates for a moment. Like, Oh my God, this is real. This is real. This is real. Yeah. Okay. So go ahead and take uh, one mental stress. Uh, And uh, I will say that uh, so far I've mentioned burning bonds whenever somebody rolls a zero through six, but you can also burn bonds on a seven through nine to step it up to a 10 plus. Uh, doesn't just you don't just have to burn a bond whenever you fail. You can burn it whenever to step it up to the next success band. Okay. Mm. Um, yeah. Uh, we're 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 playing with a, a hack, a homebrew hack of worlds in peril, uh, and we're figuring it out together. Like I'm figuring out the stress isn't very threatening. I might have to step it up a little. <laughs> um, but. Uh, Dr. Fusion, you're sprinting towards the uh, artillery guns, and um, you know what? I think she described it as she opened up this uh, place for you to get to, so I think instead of rolling a seize control, uh, let's roll a sneak around. Okay. Eight. An eight, okay. Uh, So on a seven through nine, it's complicated. The EIC chooses one. Someone unimportant noticed you, but that just made them important. Uh, You are perceived only by secondary secondary sense, or you must leave something important behind or be discovered. Um, (laughs) Ooh. Dr. Fusion, as you are jumping across uh, the rooftops, the, the curvature of these rooftops is a little clunky for you. Uh, in your already clunky boots. So I think as you land on one, you scuff and you start to fall down. Um, and falling down would put you right in the middle of this road with all these Nazi soldiers. Um, 
So you could either scramble back up, but in your scramble, that flare gun that you took from the airship uh, would jostle loose and fall to the ground. So you could either fall into the middle of these soldiers with your flare gun still attached or scramble up to the top, but leave your flare gun behind. I will fall because that flare gun is important. <laughs> All right. You lose your footing uh, and you tumble boom, boom, down in the midst of all these soldiers. They turn around looking at you. Uh, do you say anything as they look at you surprised? Yeah, he will get to his feet, kind of brush himself off. <sighs> Countrymen. You're a disgrace to Deutschland. And get ready for a fight. Okay. I think if you want to if you want to attack them first, go ahead and do a takedown. Yeah, I will. Okay. Um I I think what I will do is I will use my um burst dash to very quickly shoot by all of them and kind of like shove their guns out of their hands okay uh so it sounds like that would be using the maneuver stat uh so go ahead and roll 2d6 with maneuver okay that's a 12 <laughs> nice. 12 wow okay so on the 12 you get to choose uh three uh, you inflict one stress, uh, you can choose this multiple times, you can take away an advantage, and what an advantage is, uh, is it's like, a, like you have advantages, they're things that are not necessarily your powers, but they're items or objects that help you. Uh, you could force a change of location, uh, you could reduce the size of a mob by one, or you could take no harm in the doing. What do you choose? So I will take away their guns. Okay, so that will use up two. Mm-hmm. And then I will take no harm in the doing. Okay, so describe for us uh, how you how you take away their guns. So yeah, you see them all like line up their shot, and then in a blur of movement, the there's like a spark on the ground, and the dust kicks up, and then Doctor Fusion is just like standing at the end of the line, holding all of their guns in the sand. <laughs> uh, I like it. Um, and then let's turn the page. Let's go down into the valley. Uh, we see a line of panzer tanks uh, kind of entrenched in the dirt and rocks, and they're just boom, 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 firing off these shots. And we see at the other end of the valley... Uh, trenches where the allied forces have gotten in uh, there are some Abram tanks that are trying to work their way forward but the artillery from the village keeps pelting their hide and keeping them from really advancing or getting any closer um, and we see these panzer tanks continue to boom 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 uh, and I think at that moment uh, Mother Midnight and Torchbearer arrive as you turn the page you see these panels of these panzers taking their shots at the trenches and at the allied forces. And then we see a panel from up in the sky, just a glimmer of light. And the next panel is a just a dark panel with a brilliant, bright, shining light through it. 
see Torchbearer soaring out of the sky at top speed. This gleaming orb of power around his right fist as he rockets down towards one of these panzers, slams it down, trying to obliterate the front treads, the armored chassis, and the the cannon itself. Uh, dope. Uh, that definitely sounds like a takedown with smash. Uh, let's roll 2d6 with your smash. Oh my goodness, I rolled a four. <gasps> Alright. I, uh, I had to go hard, <laughs> you know? Yeah, you, you had to. Um, you come streaking down out of the sky. You land on top of this panther, the bright flash of light. You're trying to crush it beneath you. Um... And you've, you've done this. Uh, you have fought Mooks in Philadelphia as they're driving away in their Fords, coming down on the hood of their car and making it flip over with them inside of it. Um, you've done this before, but you've never done this with a German-built tank. I certainly have not. The steel is strong. It's heavy. It is built to withstand a lot of damage. And as you come down, uh, it doesn't budge. Shoot! And I think the other, uh, a nearby tank, like, starts to rotate its turret towards you, and it is going to take a shot at you. Uh, please roll a defy danger against, uh, three physical stress. A ten. All right. Describe for me, uh, this, the panzer fires. There's a who crack a boom onomatopoeia behind it. Uh, what do we see is the, the shell doesn't hurt you. You can see... Torchbearer's kind of flabbergasted that this big flashy move that he tried had no effect, and he just notices in time once the the cannon fires from nearby, and he has just enough time to kind of jump back out of the way as it almost grazes the tip of his nose. Mm. All right, I dig it. Uh, and I forgot to mention that everything that y'all do here until the artillery guns are taken out has a minus one to it. Um, so that would that would make it a nine. Yeah, but we'll we'll keep going. We will not retroactive it. Uh, Mother Midnight, how do you arrive? Well, um, so I'm parachuting out of the sky, mm-hmm. and. I think the speed at which I'm falling, unfortunately, um, causes quite a bit of wind in my face. Mm-hmm. Unbeknownst to me, when I land, I no longer appear like Mother Midnight, which is unfortunate. Mm-hmm. So. So as you land, we see like little mm-hmm. glittering specks like coming off your cheeks, and you don't look like Mother Midnight anymore. You look like who? Sister Solstice. And in fact, there's a little yellow box right next to you that says, what does it say? Sister Solstice. (laughs) Real name is Doris Daniel, and I have um, the power of abjurative spellcasting. And I think down the bottom there's an asterisk, and it says, not, in big capital letters, Mother Midnight. (laughs) Um, but Sister Solstice, you land on the, the valley, or the floor of this valley. These four tanks are in front of you. What do you do? I'm wondering if using my temporal shunt somehow would be useful in this moment. Um, temporal shunt is listed in possible powers, uh-huh. so it's not something you can do yet, but okay, okay. there is a move called push. Okay. 
okay. which allows you to use powers that are not listed in your simple, difficult, or borderline. It could be things that you've written down impossible, or it could be powers that you have made up on the fly. So if you're wanting to use a power that's not in your simple, difficult, or borderline, we can roll a push right now to make it happen. I mean, yeah, I guess so. Okay. So, uh, first of all, what do you think? Would this fall in simple, difficult, or borderline? Um, probably borderline, if I'm being okay. real honest. Yeah, it is a, it's a difficult power to do. Uh, so, go ahead and roll. You do not get to add anything to this roll. It should be stated that these are Esther Black's dice. <laughs> so. Oh, come on. Hope Sister uh, Solstice is ready to take a lot of damage. Why would you do this to yourself? I don't know. Five. Five. All right. Are you going to burn a bond? Yeah. Okay. I don't want to start out dead. <laughs> okay. Uh, who are you burning a bond with? Um, Mother Midnight. Oh, your mother. Why? Um, Because I am not carrying her name well in this moment. Okay, uh, so you'll burn one bond with Mother Midnight. Advance your bond clock forward. You're putting stress on that relationship. Um, and because you rolled a 7 through 9, uh, you can do it. But the EIC will offer you an ugly choice or hard bargain in order to do so. You also take one stress if it was simple, two stress if it was difficult, or three stress if it was borderline, and you cannot add it to your power's profile sheet. So you're going to be able to do this temporal shunt, uh, but uh, it's not. You're not going to be able to just do it later. You'll have to push yourself in order to try to do it again later, um, and you're also going to take three stress. So, uh, what do you think this would be? Is this three physical, three mental, or three emotional? Probably physical. Okay, physical. Uh, mm -hmm. So go ahead and step up your physical stress to three. And I think at three boxes, uh, there's a minus one there. Uh, and what that means is uh, now any, you know, physical activity that you do is going to have that minus one to it. Uh, what What is the temporal shunt? What are you trying to do? Um, so I can stop objects in time. Mm -hmm. So... My thought was that I could, like, slow down one of the um, panzer tanks mm -hmm. um, in order to, like, I guess, like, I don't know. But what I'm thinking is that I can slow it down and then, like, while it's slower, I guess maybe other things. I don't know exactly how to explain it, but anyway, slow it down, and then I can, like, go in and disable it while it's in, like, stopped oh, okay. in time or something. Sure, sure. I mean, once you've slowed something down or stopped it completely, it would be a lot easier to deal with. Yeah, mm -hmm. definitely. Okay. Um, I just don't know about the people on the tank and how that, but anyways. We'll have to see. Um, okay, so you you use this temporal shunt. Uh, does Is there any, like effect on the tank like do we see any sort of effect drawn onto the tank as you use this power on it um you may see some kind of like blue like force field kind of thing like a 
I guess maybe around it or in front okay. of it. Okay, so like a, a blue sphere around it, uh-huh. uh, and it's like discolored while it's in the sphere as it's moving slowly. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you have shunted one of these, uh, sweat dripping from your brow as you take that physical stress. Um, and I'm going to offer you a hard choice. In, in using this power that you've never used before, do you accidentally trap Torchbearer in it? Or uh, do you trap another Panzer tank and... Let's see how, how this works. You can either trap Torchbearer in the temporal shunt bubble with the Panzer tank, or you trap another one as the one that's on that Torchbearer is on fires at you. I think the one that Torchbearer is on fires at me. Okay. So you encase, let's say you encase the one that just shot at Torchbearer mm-hmm. uh, and you lash, you lash out, use your powers, you put it in this bubble uh, and the Panzer tank that is uh, being attacked by Torchbearer slowly rotates towards you. And I think inside the tank, we see the operators of the tank manipulating levers, turning everything, loading the canister, and you see one of them say, uh, a word bubble says, Vit, it is a child. And the tank commander says, Shoot her! Shoot her! And then uh, the blast fires out from the cannon. Um, And I will say, uh, there is a move called Serve and Protect, which is what you would roll to defend someone else. So, Torchbearer, if you wanted to try to do something to defend Sister Solstice before she takes this... uh, this stress you could definitely try to roll a serve and protect yeah i think as as the tank i'm attacking is taking aim and i can kind of hear the muffled sounds of what's going on i hear the shooter and so i was like oh boy and then he um torchbearer wants to like throw up a barrier right in front of the the muzzle of the cannon to try and stop it from firing at her he wants to react before it happens. <laughs> sure. I want to hit him. Uh, all right, go ahead and roll <laughs> roll plus protect. Let's see. I got an eight. An eight. Okay. So on a seven through nine, you hold one. As long as you continue to defend, you can spend your hold to do the following. Uh, redirect an attack to yourself. Reduce the stress inflicted by one for every hold you spend. Open up the attacker to an ally, giving that ally a bonus to take forward against the attacker. Or create a bond or step back your bond clock with the person you are protecting. Uh, Which of those options do you want? I'll just redirect the attack at myself. Okay, so you're going to redirect the attack at yourself. As you said, you erect that shimmering yellow barrier. Uh, the blast hits that barrier and explodes outward. Uh, and you are going to get peltered with the shrapnel and fire of the explosion. Uh, go ahead and roll a defy danger against three physical stress. That would be a nine. A nine. Um, okay, so on a nine... Uh, you can either step down the physical stress to two, or you can take it uh, as mental or emotional. I'll step it down to two. Step it down to two? All right, take two physical stress. 
uh, and uh, we see all this fighting. I think we see a couple of panels uh, of the scene in the village of Crystal Gazer uh, being shot at by the soldiers as she's hunkering down. We see uh, Dr. Fusion standing there with all the Nazis' guns. Uh, we see Omission and Geiger Gwyn hunkering down in their perspective locations. And we see the Panzer tanks firing at uh, Sister Solstice and Torchbearer. And we turn the page and we see Oberfjör von Veers sitting at his desk um, looking through papers. And we see an uh, attache run up. Uh, and he says, uh, Oberfjör, we are being overrun. Uh, the allied forces, they have brought superhumans. Uh, and Oberfjord looks up nonchalantly. He says, Let the American dogs fight and chase their tails as they want. He closes the book he's looking at. I am very near getting what I came here to get. And then the next panel... We see that trench that was being dug earlier is a huge square of upturned earth. And we see in the side of this excavation is this huge tunnel leading down into the earth. And then Oberfjord von Veers smiles. We see a little word bubble next to his mouth that says, And down in the bottom of that panel we see, To be continued. End of episode. Ooh. Yee yee. Excellent. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Misconceptions. We'll be back with our next episode on May 16th. If you have social media, you can find us on Facebook and Twitter. Like and follow us at Misconceptions Pod for up-to-date information about the show, behind-the-scenes pictures, and just to show us your general positive feelings about the show. We also have a Discord. You can click the link below to join our Discord so that you can chat with other friends of the show and chat with other cast members directly. We also have an email. If you'd like to contact us that way, you can email us at misconceptionspod at gmail.com. This show is fully supported by the generous monthly donations of our patrons on Patreon. If you would like to join that elite group of supporters and gain access to exclusive content, please consider joining our Patreon. The Tells to Inspire theme song was composed by Esteban Del Pino. You can find out more about his music on fiverr.com slash IAM underscore W-A-K-E. Omission was played by Mitchell Wallace, who can be found at Mitch Bustillos on Twitter. Crystal Gazer was played by Marlo Bogus, who can be found at Marlo Bogwich on Twitter. Torchbearer was played by Phil Montgomery, who can be found at BMC Philanthropy on Twitter. Geiger Gwyn was played by Christy Scheidemantle, who can be found at Polish Christy on Twitter. Dr. Fusion was played by Occam Razor, who can be found at Occam Sockam Robo on Twitter. Sister Solstice was played by Carrie White, who hates Twitter and refuses to get one. And I'm David White, your editor-in-chief. You can find me at Mr. Banana Socks on Twitter. The role-playing game system used in this production was a modified version of the Worlds in Peril role-playing game by Sam Joko Publishing. 
Tales to Inspire is a product of the Misconceptions Podcast Network. Find out more about our other shows and buy cool merch at misconceptionspod.com. And that's it for this week's episode of Tales to Inspire. Thank you so much for listening, and keep it nerdy, y'all. Thank you.